0: as we come back to second kings this morning we're coming back to only half a kingdom last week we saw the northern part of israel being conquered by the Assyrians, and the people of the north were taken away into exile that means only the south is left just the part of israel known as judah and the prospects for judah do not look good When chapter 17 explained the reasons why the north was defeated, we were told Judah had followed the north into idolatry and disobedience to God's commands. So we have every reason to believe Judah will follow the north into exile as well. And in our passage this morning, it looks like that will happen just eight years after it happened to the north. We're going to look together at 2 Kings, chapters 18 and 19. But we'll start by just reading chapter 18. So if you haven't found that yet, it's page 388 in the church Bibles, or in the larger print Bibles, 598. 2 Kings, chapter 18. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel... Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hela, in Gozan, on the river Habor, and in towns of the Medes. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib king of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So Hezekiah king of Judah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah king of Judah three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah king of Judah stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king. And Eliakim, son of Philkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Philkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his hand, his land, from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of vaim Hena, and Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then... Can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply, because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. This is God's word. And it asks us a question. Who will you trust? Trust is the key word in this passage. In our English Bibles, it's translated a few different ways. Sometimes as confidence. Sometimes it's translated as dependence. But the same Hebrew word is behind all those English words. And it occurs nine times in this section we've just read. Trust is the key issue. And this passage begins by introducing us to a king who trusts in the Lord. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz. And in the context of First and Second Kings, the description of Hezekiah is remarkably positive. We're told at the beginning of chapter 18, first of all, he removed the high places. Those alternative worship sites that every other king had left alone we're told hezekiah also got rid of the bronze snake moses had made generations before this that had never been intended to be an idol in fact god had commanded moses to make it and then god had used it to save the israelites you can read about that in the book of numbers chapter 21 no doubt people had kept that snake as a reminder of God's grace. But it seems that over time, the people of Judah began to treat it like an idol. So Hezekiah gets rid of that too. The writer of Kings wants us to see Hezekiah is serious about following the Lord. And verse 5 gives us the reason why. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him Among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. The writer of Kings couldn't give Hezekiah any higher commendation. So when we're told that Hezekiah then rebelled against the Assyrians, we have to see that as part of his devotion to the Lord. There's no good political reason for Hezekiah to rebel. In fact verses 9 to 12 remind us what happened to the north of Israel when they rebelled against Assyria. They were crushed. And in military terms, Judah is weaker than the north had been. So we have to assume Hezekiah rebelled against the Assyrians because he didn't want Judah to be ruled by a nation that doesn't worship the Lord. That's our introduction to Hezekiah, a man who trusts in the Lord. But his trust is going to be severely tested. Because the Assyrians respond to Hezekiah's rebellion by coming after him. They wade into Judah and they start overrunning it. Maybe Hezekiah didn't expect that. Maybe he thought the Lord would never allow that to happen. And so when he hears the Assyrians are rampaging across the country, Hezekiah does something that seems totally out of character, considering the big commendation he's been given. Look down to verse 14. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. The new king of Assyria is now Sennacherib, and Lachish is a city in Judah. And after all of this was over, Sennacherib commemorated his defeat of Lachish. He had it depicted in great detail on the walls of his palace in Nineveh. And in fact, you can see those massive stone carvings just by visiting the British Museum in London. That's where they are today. They occupy several rooms of the British Museum. Massive murals he commissioned for his palace walls. And they show a terrifying, powerful army. And seeing that army actually marching towards you must have been even more terrifying than seeing it on the wall must have been so terrifying that in hezekiah's case his trust in the lord temporarily deserts him he goes to jelly and he starts sucking up to sennacherib he pays him a huge amount of silver and gold now that payment was given so that sennacherib would withdraw but like any ruthless power mad dictator sennacherib accepts the money And then he carries on regardless. He gets ready to capture Jerusalem just as soon as he's finished over at Lachish. And that means the scene is set for us. We have a Judean king who trusts in the Lord, but who can still go a bit wobbly when his faith is tested. And we have the challenger to Hezekiah's faith in the Lord. While Sennacherib is mopping things up over at Lachish, he sends a chunk of his army to Jerusalem. And among them, his head men, his spokesman. Hezekiah sends out several of his own officials to hear the message from Sennacherib. And look down to how the message begins in verse 19. The field commander said to them, that's to Hezekiah's officials, tell Hezekiah, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Through his messenger, Sennacherib asks Hezekiah, who are you trusting in? Then he gives some options. Some possibilities. Are you trusting in Egypt? Because Egypt can't help you. Egypt is no match for me. And in that case, Sennacherib is right. But it's not clear at all that Hezekiah had been looking to Egypt for help. Then Sennacherib asks, Well, are you trusting in the Lord your God? Because he won't help you. Hezekiah tore down all his high places. Now, we know the high places were false worship signs. Removing them did not make the Lord angry. But what Sennacherib is doing is firing off discouraging comments, hoping that some of them will hit the target. He goes on to say, look, I'll even give you 2,000 horses. If you can put riders on them, maybe we can make a proper fight of this. But you don't have 2,000 horsemen, do you? Then in verse 25, Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. All of this sounds a bit like that scene in the musical Les Mis, if you're familiar with that. When the officer stands and shouts up to the people in the barricades, You're on your own, you have no friends. And commentators tell us this is all standard Assyrian stuff. Today we might call this psychological warfare. And the Assyrians did it because it was effective. And when the guy saying these things had a massive army standing behind him, these kinds of discouraging jibes tended to work. And the reaction of Hezekiah's officials just proves that. They tell Sennacherib's spokesman to stop talking in Hebrew because the people of Jerusalem can understand what you're saying. Apparently the people in the city are just crowded along the city walls, taking all of this in. And Hezekiah's men say to the Assyrians, Shh, we don't want the people to hear this. Speak to us in Aramaic instead. We can understand that, but the people won't be able to. Well, that, of course, only makes things worse. Look how the Assyrians react in verse 28. The commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree. And drink water from your own cistern. Until I come and take you to a land like your own. A land of grain and new wine a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Through this spokesman of his, Sennacherib is saying to the people of Jerusalem, don't trust in Hezekiah, don't trust in the Lord, trust in me. I can lead you to prosperity and security. I can lead you to life. And not just ordinary life. Come to me and I will give you life to the full. If you insist on trusting Hezekiah and his God, well, you're just choosing death. If we turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, what we'd find is these promises from Sennacherib repeat the Lord's promises almost word for word. These promises of great prosperity. Generations before, as the people stood on the edge of this land, the Lord said to them, trust me. Trust me enough to obey me and I will give you life to the full. God said to them, choose life by trusting in me. But here, Sennacherib presents himself as the alternative. He says, I'm the one who can fulfill you and cause you to prosper. And it has to be said, from where the Israelites stand, Sennacherib probably looks the better bet at this point. His power is obvious to anyone who has eyes in their head. So who are they going to trust? Who is their king going to trust? And if we freeze things in Jerusalem just for a moment, what you and I need to realize is this challenge is not a one-off. This is a timeless challenge. It reoccurs all throughout history. This scene on the walls of Jerusalem is played out again and again. The names and the locations change, the voice changes, but the challenge is the same. Trust me, someone says, instead of the Lord. And behind every human power who says those words, behind all of them, there is one great challenger. We meet him, first of all, in the Garden of Eden. As he says to Eve, Eve, God doesn't want you to flourish. He's not going to give you what's best. He's trying to deny you what you need and what would be good for you. You're better off eating the fruit. Trust me. We meet that same challenger again during the life of Jesus Christ. and This time, the challenger is referred to by his name, the devil. Matthew tells us, the devil took him that's Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus, you're better off with me. Trust me. But what about for you and me? Is the devil likely to come and challenge us face to face? With his tail tucked into his trousers? Probably not. But we can be sure he will find a way to challenge our trust in God. He'll paint the picture of our situation that makes trust in the Lord seem like a dead-end choice. You and I can count on it. The challenger will get to us. And when he does, his presentation will be impressive. And most of the time, he'll have numbers on his side. If so many people are living this way, how could it be wrong? How can God's word be true if so many people believe the opposite of what God's word says? How can God's word be true when he's taking so long to do what he promised to do? The faces will change, the words will change, but the challenge is always the same. Will we trust God and His Word, or will we trust the face and the voice that is challenging God and His Word? Now let's remember the challenger never keeps his promises. In Jesus' case, he couldn't deliver what he was promising Jesus. The kingdoms of the world do not belong to Satan. In Sennacherib's case, all we have to do is look at his artwork from Lachish. That artwork shows us his captives being brutally tortured and then led away in chains as slaves. That is his intention for Jerusalem as well. The promises of olive trees and vineyards and honey, they're all just a lie. And the one who lies behind every challenge to our trust in God, he might entice us by saying, choose life and not death. Don't waste your life trusting the Lord. The devil is a great salesman, but he never keeps his promises. His only intention is to harm and destroy. When we left Jerusalem, it was pretty quiet. The people were thinking things over. They were weighing up Sennacherib's word against God's word. And the beginning of chapter 19 tells us, Hezekiah himself is in a spin again. He sends a message to Isaiah the prophet asking Isaiah to pray. And Isaiah sends a reply back to the king. He says, don't worry, don't be afraid. Sennacherib will return to his own country and he will die there. That is Isaiah's confident message. But in the meantime, Sennacherib shows no intention of leaving. He sends a letter to Hezekiah saying, I'm coming for you. I haven't forgotten about you. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you. When he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. uh, Sennacherib repeats the challenge. Have the gods of any other nations been able to defend them against me? No. And Sennacherib says, Your God isn't going to do any better than all those other gods. That's the point where we're going to pick up our reading. Hezekiah has just received that letter from Sennacherib. And we pick up down in chapter 19, verse 14. We're going to read then to the end of chapter 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, 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 the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations, and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord our God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its junipers. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Then in verse 25, God replies to Sennacherib's boasts, Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it, now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They're like plants in the field like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you can. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David my servant. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons Adrammelech and Sherezer killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Azarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Back in chapter 18, the very first thing we heard about Hezekiah was that he trusted in the Lord. And we soon saw that didn't mean he was immune to wobbles in his faith. Hezekiah is not a robot. Circumstances can get to him like they can get to anyone. We saw that when he apologized to Sennacherib and tried to buy him off. But now, in chapter 19, when Sennacherib's letter arrives, Hezekiah does the wisest thing he possibly could do. He heads for the temple of the Lord. He steps aside from all the noise Sennacherib is making. All the noise that begins to sound very convincing if we listen to it long enough. Hezekiah gets away from that and he prays. He turns his attention to the Lord. And notice in chapter 19, verse 15. He starts just by remembering who God is. In verse 15. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Hezekiah gets his bearings again by refocusing on who God is. That in itself can be a powerful antidote to the challenges. And then he asked God to hear Sennacherib's challenge and respond to it. Look down to verse 19. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Hezekiah began his prayer by remembering who God is. He ends it by asking God to show who he is so that God himself will be vindicated and honored. And when you and I face challenges to our faith, this is the way forward for us as well. First, we need to get ourselves out of all the anti-God noise that's going on around us. We need to step out of that for a while so we can just remember who our God is. that's one of the main reasons we have the bible to show us our god so we can see him in action and remember his uniqueness and his power and his faithfulness then we can go on to pray about the challenges we face and we can go further than just saying lord make those people be quiet and leave me alone We can go on to say, Lord, for the sake of your name and your reputation, show that you're trustworthy. For the sake of your own honor, take action. Our faith in God will never survive if we don't take time to be quiet in the presence of God, just remembering who he is. And our faith won't survive if our prayers never get further than, Lord, bail me out, please. We need a concern for God's own reputation. So that our prayers are ultimately for God to come and glorify his own name in the situation. That's what we see from Hezekiah. And look what we see then from God. God. Or rather, what we hear from God in verse 20. Isaiah son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. And God here pictures the city of Jerusalem like a virgin who has been delivered from a rapist. That's the picture. Sennacherib is at the city gates. He's ready to force his way in and violate the city. But he's not going to manage it. Jerusalem will not be humiliated. And here's why. It's not because the people of Jerusalem are any better than the people up in the north had been. No, God is coming to defend Jerusalem because Sennacherib has gone too far. He has publicly announced the Lord cannot save Jerusalem. That he's just like the powerless gods of all the other nations. The nations Assyria has trampled over. People are always on dangerous ground when they announce that God cannot do something. Do you remember what they said when the Titanic was being launched? This ship is so well built that God himself couldn't sink it. It's never a good idea to make announcements like that. They have a habit of being contradicted. And here, not only has Sennacherib been bold enough to say that God cannot deliver Jerusalem, Sennacherib has begun to think of himself as God. Look in verse 23. God says to him, By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord, as you have said, With my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its junipers. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Back at the time of the Exodus... The Lord showed his power over the waters of Egypt. He divided the Red Sea so Israel could cross it on dry land. And now in Sennacherib's own mind, he's in God's shoes. He's the Almighty. He's the one all creation must bow down to and give way to. Today we still have Sennacherib's own written records of his military campaigns. And this is exactly the sort of thing he wrote about himself. But here God says to Sennacherib, You have only achieved what you've achieved because it was part of my sovereign plan. You were my instrument among those nations. God says, don't make the mistake of thinking it was your own brains or your own power that have given you success. God says, I gave it to you. And God says, because you have exalted yourself, I will bring you low. We know that the Assyrians like to lead their captives with hooks, like animals. Animals. And in verse 28, God says to Sennacherib, because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you can. The one who denies God's power and exalts himself to the place of God will be brought low. That's why God will act. That's why Jerusalem will be spared on this occasion. Not because they deserve it. Because God will act for the honor of his own name. And yet God is going to bless Jerusalem through this. He goes on to say, you will be able to sow and reap again. The land will recover from these devastating invaders. And God says, it's not only the ground that will be fruitful again. Look at verse 30. Once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. God has moved from talking about the land now to talking about the people. He says this experience of God's deliverance will have lasting consequences among the people. It isn't going to stop Judah ultimately going into exile, but it will produce a faithful remnant in Judah. People who turn to the Lord and people who stay faithful to the Lord even in exile. So that even in exile there will be faithful servants of God. Chapter 18 ended with a massive challenge to Hezekiah's trust in the Lord. Sennacherib's messenger stood at the walls of the city, backed up by a massive army. It seemed a big risk to trust in the Lord. Maybe even a bit silly. And those who challenge our trust in God will often have that kind of effect on us they will often seem unanswerable and irresistible. But how did Hezekiah respond? He got out of the noise. He reminded himself who God is. And as he listened to the word of the Lord through Isaiah, Hezekiah was given a totally different perspective on the situation. Sennacherib hasn't disappeared just that Hezekiah can now see him in his proper place. And that place is under God's power and authority. Sennacherib is the challenger, but the Lord is the winner. When the actual defeat of the Assyrians is reported here in the text, it's almost thrown in as an afterthought. Well, of course the Lord won. Of course, he did what he said he'd do. Of course, his angel came in the night and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian troops. Of course, Sennacherib went home with his tail between his legs. How could we ever have doubted the Lord? How could we ever have been swayed by Sennacherib's big talk? And now we know why when Sennacherib did go home, the artwork in his palace showed him conquering the pretty insignificant city of Lachish instead of the capital city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a much bigger prize. But Sennacherib's palace had no murals about Jerusalem because he never conquered Jerusalem. And sometime later, two of his sons assassinated him. This is how it always ends for those who challenge our trust in the Lord. Of course, the specific details will change. But when any man or woman or movement or idea calls us to trust it instead of the Lord, that challenge to the Lord will end in humiliating failure. And the greatest challenge of the devil the one who lies behind those challenges to our faith. The Bible says his time is short and he will end up in eternal fire. All his big talk and his promises will go up in flames. So this passage leaves each one of us with a question. In my situation... Who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust the God who made the world and rules the world and has shown it again and again? Or will I trust the challenger who tells me I'm wasting my time trusting the Lord? There will always be other voices promising us life to the full. It's been that way ever since the Garden of Eden when the snake made those big promises to Eve, there'll always be other voices and those voices usually sound pretty good to us. Until we step aside from the noise and remind ourselves who God is. He is high above every challenger and he delivers on every one of his promises for his own honour and for the good of all those who trust in him. We're going to close by lifting our eyes up to him as we sing together, Awake, awake, O Zion, and then behold our God.